Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me best as the Pope's social media advisor on his recent trip to the United States, but in my spare time, I talk tech. And you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about Silicon Valley's key players, big ideas, and how they are changing the world we live in. Today's guest in the red chair is Hans Vesberg, CEO of Ericsson. He is a man in a hurry. His company is already the leader in providing the equipment for this generation of cellular technology. But as he said at this year's Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, we want to be the winner in the second phase as well. Vesberg, who joined Ericsson in 1988 and served as CFO from 2007 to 2009 before becoming CEO, has broad international experience, having held various management positions for Ericsson in China, Brazil, Mexico, and the U.S. He's the leading advocate for the Millennium Development Goals and for the potential of mobility and broadband to tackle some of the world's most compelling issues, including poverty, health, education, and climate change. He's here in New York with us this week, where he's attending the U.N. conference, and he's the perfect person to talk to about global connectivity and mobility. Welcome, Hans. Thank you very much. So you're here for the UN Week here in New York City. Love the traffic. Yeah, I love the traffic. We're of course, uh, I do a little of different things, but there's been a, a lot of folks on the UN Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a historical event on Friday when the 193 member states was approving the 17 goals that's going to guide us the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. I would say that they all have one ambition to make this planet livable, more inclusive, making better life for everyone. And uh, I think that uh, I spent a lot of time with the UN because I think in this technology transformation we're into, the ICT is one of the most critical infrastructure platforms that they, that all the heads of states have in around the world. Well, let's talk about that idea of mm-hmm. global connectivity because, mm-hmm. you know, most of the world is not connected or hasn't been. The first phase has been largely in the first world and countries like where Ericsson's from, from Sweden, the United States especially. Um, what do you imagine, when do you imagine everyone in the world will have really strong data and, and mobile connectivity that really matters? What is your outlook on that? Uh, so in our mobility report that we give out every six six months, I mean, by 2020, our uh, our estimates and our forecast is that we're going to have over uh, almost 8 billion mobile broadband subscriptions. That means that uh, we're going to have twice the amount of people on this earth having access to internet in five years. And mm-hmm. it took us 25 years. So, And we're also going to have 90% of the earth population have 3G or 4G coverage. Right. So it's a dramatic exponential growth the next five years compared to 25. The reason be that the networks is deployed and the hands that comes down in enormous in price. But still, today, out of the 7.2 billion mobile subscriptions in the world, 4.5 billion is on 2G GSM. Right. But that transformation, yeah, that is now transforming the next five years enormously quickly. So how does that happen? Is it the, the lower price and the connectivity itself? What is the what is the mechanism where that happens? This is the biggest scalable industry in the world. I mean, I sell the same equipment to the operators in New York City mm-hmm. as I do in Africa because we have decided on standards. That means also you can bring down the price for the hands 
handsets enormously. I usually say that if you lower the pr- average price for a smartphone with $10, mm-hmm. 100 million people on earth can afford it. So what's that mean then when people afford it? G- give me some of the, you know, I know we all try to think of this globally connected world, but for the most part, these developing countries do not have the same connectivity and therefore, and this is critical to their development. How do you get that? How do you, how, what happens when that happens? Give me some... It's a totally different, there's a leapfrogging of technologies. You mm-hmm. from this country, I'm from yeah. Sweden. We right. have gone through the black and white TV and all this progression. The majority of the Earth population coming onto the internet, they start with a connected device, probably right. a smartphone. That phone is not for calling someone, it's actually to be part of the world. Uh, they get healthcare information, they get education, they can uh, search, they can get their mobile account on it. For them, that is being part of our society. Totally different ways of thinking how you use this device. And I think I've seen it on the ground in Africa, Asia, and places. We see innovation that we never thought about by using. Give me a good the, example of that. Because uh, everyone talks about this. And no, it's sort of a, you know, here you are at the UN, they make these great global uh, things. Think and we that, still have nagging poverty, uh, we still have climate control issues. Yeah, I think that, I mean, simple things like that. I mean, uh, I was just with a customer from Afghanistan that came out with a public service to pay the public servants through mobile money. Um, it took him two weeks. He was threatened to death by people, mm-hmm. and he didn't understand why. So I asked him, and he said, "No, no. It was after a while. It was obvious because we were they were paying money, and mm-hmm. they were paying to their employees. So there was middlemen mm-hmm. all the way, and the money never received the employees, or at least was." Much less. And of course, with the mobile money, there were no middlemen taking money away. It was transparency through the payment. Of course, they lost all their money in the process. Mm-hmm. That type of things is, of course, changing a whole society, bringing equality to people and having a chance that everybody can be part of it. Very simple example. That is happening all around the world when people get the mobile phone. Where are we in the developed countries with this? Where where do you imagine? Everybody has a, has a smartphone pretty much. It's almost... Hundred percent, it's close. It's up uh, it's, seventy. It's, or no, something. it's pretty high. But we 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 soon two billion smartphones in the world. So it's, we're coming in many of developed countries. I think that of course I see this technology revolution impacting in three dimensions: people, industries, and society. Mm-hmm. In the developed world, you and I are only. Or impacted. We have our right. smartphone, everything is connected. You we shake. don't talk to any human being on the Absolute. street. I walked up here and literally everyone on the street was staring at their phones yeah. and not anything else. It was uh, so really fascinating. What we now see in the developed world, which is going to be very, very important because of the mobility broadband and cloud, we see the next stage, industries. Any industry, if it's a transport industry, if it's a healthcare industry, everyone looks into how can they transform by using mobility broadband and cloud. And of course, that's where we see all these connected devices, but that's only the beginning. Off the connected devices, you connect the devices together and then you change business models. Mm-hmm. And that we're going to see in all industries. And that's happening. And that you can bring them to the society aspects of it, of a city like New York or urbanization is just happening. Right. This city will not be livable in 10 years from now if we don't have sustainable solutions in it. So talk about that a little bit because one of the things that I always talk about and I say it a lot is that a lot of Silicon Valley the past 10 years, even though this smartphone revolution has happened and it's profound, it's a lot of big minds chasing small ideas. You know, UN Week's about big ideas yeah. and so are, so are these things. So where do, you, do the big ideas or does it just become this sort of device, an entertainment device, a babysitting device, uh, like uh, keeping people sort of quiet or, or is there more of how do you how do you get into the big ideas of what this technology can do I think that that's one aspect I mean of course it's entertainment and all of that but what we're debating this week in the UN is of course that by um, 2020 uh, 
all people on earth except 300 million will mm-hmm. have mobile phone coverage. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Out of those It's still going to be over a billion that doesn't use the service. They are illiterate. They don't have content. They don't have the knowledge to use the ICT. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, also the infrastructure still needs to come down in price. Right. So, but what we see is, of course, we need to scale solutions like for education, for healthcare, for smart cities. There are so many good initiatives, but they need to scale. And governments is a key here because governments they have the co- they have the content for healthcare or for education. They need to educate themselves how to use a tool. The private sector will roll out all these networks all around the world, mm-hmm. and the next five years, explosion of people being connected to broadband. And they so the problem is for governments, and that has been my discussion with them. You need to understand how to use it. You mm-hmm. need to have. Education on ICT, how to make. A Why have they been so slow, governments? Because they really have. I mean, just even the debacle around Obamacare and the rollout of a simple website and using people. People have adapted to them a lot faster than their government officials. I, I, I tend to not agree with you. I okay. mean, I was sitting in 2010. Okay. I became a commissioner of broadband commission. I think it was 20 countries in the world that had a broadband plan. Right. Now, 144 countries of the 193 have a broadband plan. That's only the beginning. That's an enabler. Mm-hmm. Right now, we need next step is that you put ICT platforms that are going to serve your citizens, make your more efficient, including people. That's the next step, and that's what I'm working on. Right. I mean, the broadband plan for me was that everybody need the basics, and that we have in 144. But we'll countries. talk about that. What extra connectivity mean? What the next step? When you're mm. talking about the second phase, when you were talking mm. about where we are, so getting phones in people's hands is the first phase. Mm. Um, but let's talk about actual connectivity. We just got 4G in the U.S. and many places don't even have it. Right. Um, now Verizon and others are talking about 5G mm-hmm. feels like a marketing ploy in some ways, but what is wh- what is that, and when is it really coming? Uh, it's not the marketing; it's uh, far more serious than that. Uh, the 2G, 3G, and 4G has de- been developed for consumers, mm-hmm. higher speed and uh, better throughput. I mean, mm-hmm. 3G is so much better than 2G, etc. That right. has been the design. Presumably, that's because the numbers higher. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, the design principle. The 5G. Think about. Uh, Uh, a sliced network, different slices for different use cases, mm-hmm. which requires different type of characteristic. I will give you two examples just to okay. understand how we build a network. So let's think about the sensor sitting in the heart of Amazonas. There's no power, no electricity. That sensor is listening to if somebody's logging, logging. taking down trees, mm-hmm. or if they are hunting species that they cannot do, or it could be that it feels how, how the irrigation when it needs to have that or pollution. Mm. So that sensor cannot change the battery more than once every 10 years. Mm-hmm. So then you need to send a very long signal, maybe 200, 300 kilometers, and it has to waken up the sensor now and then, and then it has to go. Very low power. Then you can see that that sensor doesn't need to change battery in 10 years. That's a use case in 5G. You need to have a very low power rate. Another use case is, of course, a connected car. Right. If you want to have a driverless car, mm-hmm. you need an enormous low latency because that is what yeah. the throughput is irrelevant. Uh, the 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 speed is irrelevant. The latency is important. Mm-hmm. That's two different use cases in 5G. Then you can just have healthcare solutions that need certain characteristics. And again, so far we have only worked with sort of throughput and speed. Now mm-hmm. we're going to have different characteristics of different industries, and that's what we're working on. And that's what sort of going to transform industries. And that's sort of the industrial internet is going to use the 5G. 
Right. So talk about cars first, because that's getting a lot of, you know, Apple mm. is getting into cars. Yeah. Are you building a car? No. No? No, <laughs> no not at all. Why not? <laughs> no, I think that you need to find a competitive advantage. Our competitive advantage is, is to handle Networking. all the technology, right. all the IT, all the softwares behind. And I think mm-hmm. that's our role. All right. So, but, but Apple is working on clearly Google, mm-hmm. Tesla, Uber, Ford. GM, they're all working. BMW obviously has done some really interesting things. Talk about the wider, the wider car issues, and then what's what's going to be the problem in getting them out besides humanity? No, I think that uh, if you fast forward in the future, all cars. How long in the future? Uh, five, ten years. I think that all cars will be connected. I mean, all cars coming out right now is are already connected. Done. Yeah, and that's a great thing. You can do a lot of things in a the car. A lot of music and messaging yeah, yeah. and things like but that. But what is really going to transform the car industry is when you connect the car to each other. Mm-hmm. Because then you can start, either you steer the traffic, uh, you get information how you can autonomously steer them, or you can actually see that you avoid hazards. Things like that, that is very important for our society. I mean, the city in New York, of course, that type of things connecting to in parking meters, so you don't need those... Mm-hmm. go around looking for the pocket meter. Mm-hmm. All that will be important, but that's the next step. After connecting things, you connect the things to each other, and then you have a transformative way of the society. Mm-hmm. And how, how quickly will we have those cars? How, where do you imagine? Who are you, who do you, who think is the most interesting developer of these things? I, I, I work You're going to sell to all of them. <laughs> uh, exactly. I work with many of them, so of course they're all in different stages. But this is really showing also the technology revolution. You have the first phase where you solve the problem by people going on the car and, right. and going to roads. The second phase is actually to have a connected car, which is a large smartphone, and right. transforming how we travel. Right. So, of course, they're coming in, guys, at the second phase here that didn't have the legacy of the first phase. Right. Very much like Ericsson. We solved the problem of people communicating, calling each other. Mm-hmm. It come a lot of guys solving a problem that we never thought about mm-hmm. the network could do. That's the same thing with the, mo- with the auto industry. That's why we see the Teslas of the world. They are just disrupting the whole thing by, with a connected car, mm-hmm. uh, doing it in a different way. So I think that there are many innovative uh, car manufacturers, many of the legacies, they're going to be challenged. Yeah. If they don't change, they're going to be enormously challenged. So what does the car look like from your If you had to envision, what is a, what is a connected self-driving car look like? Does it look like the little Google mobile that looks like a ride yeah, It could be. I mean, at the end of it, I mean, if every, every person on earth wants a car, it will not work. Right. I think we finally or ultimately, you're not going to own your car. Mm-hmm. You're going to buy transport. Right. Uh, of course, in markets like U.S., people love to own the cars. They're probably right. going to do that in the future as well. But of course, in a country where you don't have a car, you never can afford a car. Of course, a transport system instead that the connected cars will be transformative. So different legacies will uh, enable you to do things and others will make you more disruptive. See, I think Americans will give up cars. They've given up a lot of things. I think so. I mean, what we're seeing in California of, of connected, connected cars and, right. and the transports together, of course, things are going to happen because everyone... So you won't own a car. You will rent your rides, essentially. Yeah. And everything's going to be connected. That's, Who owns I'm, the cars then? Yeah. Who runs the, the, cars? the car manufacturer, if they disrupt them, think about the music industry, how they right. disrupted itself from buying well, the badly. record. Yeah, and then you digital records, which you're, you're right. downloading, and then you can advise which is the best music and subri- subscribe to the mu- music. Right. Enormous a transformation for the music industry. Basically, disruption. Many record labels died in that transformation, went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And of course, 
it's going to be the same for the car industry when you move over that edge, when you make a connected car, which suddenly you're not going to sell the car, you're going to rent out your transport in it. It's a totally So you need a bit. reservation system. You need, does that put Uber in a great spot? I think that Uber is, of course, on the other side of the technology revolution. They are riding on the intelligence of cars and then doing new business models. Uh-huh. I think that then all will think about how to do that smarter. Right. And I think the most important is going to be for the incumbents to think, what do I need to keep to myself? If I'm Ford, if I'm yeah, GM. This, is, this I will never give away. All others going to be co-development with all the great companies of the world. But certain things where I have my customer with me, that's going to be mine. Right. And that's well, interestingly, co- companies like Google and Apple do need growth. They're so big. They need big areas of growth. It's difficult so, with big companies. Yeah, so they need to get into it. Yeah. They need to disrupt and take over an yeah. entire industry. Which yeah. is Are the car manufacturers capable of disrupting themselves? I think that in the disruption and the transformation are into, you need to dare to sort of challenge your core business mm-hmm. and actually invest in new areas. I mean, I can only look at my company. I mean, last year we employed 19,000 people mm-hmm. and 15,000 was let go. Mm-hmm. And that's just the only way for I, me to be relevant on the second phase. I was the incumbent doing voice communication systems. Right. I'm into IT right now. I'm Networking. into TV and media. Uh, for me, we just need to be on that side to be relevant to talk to these guys. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same for the ones that dare to transform themselves using the digital age of mobility, broadband and cloud. They will succeed to the other side. The ones not, they, they, they're going to be lost in this translation. Well, we'll talk about how you innovate in a second. We're going to have a word from our sponsor. Um, if you are on the go, like myself, in a, in a self-driving car, and you don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. I'm listening to Hamilton by Ron Cherno right now. He was the innovator of his day. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. We're here with Hans Vesberg, uh, CEO of the Swedish... How do you describe your company now? Ericsson, how do you describe it? I would say that we are a sort of an IT telecom company. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are now down to only one third of our revenue is hardware. Right. For 10 years ago, it was 75%. Right. So we are tra- dra- dramatically quick to transform into software and services. So why get out of the hardware? Talk about that. Talk about transforming your company. You laid off an enormous amount of people. You changed very quickly. Why? No, I think that uh, to be relevant in this world, of course, software is so much more uh, dominant. And, and of course, our hardware is so much smaller today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, we had only in Sweden, probably five production facilities in, in the world, 30, 40. We have two production facilities really in, in the world right now mm-hmm. because the, the hardware is so, so small. Mm-hmm. And in my R&D, 90% of my R&D is basically software. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why we're transforming. And then the service piece, which is a big bet for us, where we are running networks, mm-hmm. outsourced to us, we're doing system integration. That's, of course, people intensive and, of course, very different from a hardware business as well. And that has grown from 3 billion US dollars to roughly 15 billion US dollars in 10 years. Right. So... But it's how the market is moving. We need to have system integration and softwares for our customers when we go into 
different type of solutions. So talk about the hardware business, though. How hard, you know, Apple's in it, others are in it. How hard is that right now? I think that the hardware business in certain segments, we are keeping it. In the radio business, mm -hmm. definitely the hardware will continue because to get the performance on a 2G, 3G, 4G network and 5G network, you need to put the hardware and software together. Mm -hmm. There's no, virtualization is really not getting any improvements, just mm -hmm. deteriorating. On the other side, if you look at uh, applications in the higher up in the, like a building system mm -hmm. or a TV solution or uh, digital right management, you can run the software on basically any hardware. Right. And that we have sort of designed our products for since 2010. Right. And do you imagine there, there will be just a few hardware makers going forward? Because that used to be sort of... Yeah, it will. We do still our uh, hardware in the radio side, but of course you need to have scale there. Mm -hmm. You need to have an especially scale if you want to have superior performance. Right. If you and so, who are the important makers right now in hardware and mobility? And mobility. I mean, we are doing our own hardware. Of course, mm -hmm. we're designing in processes mm -hmm. with large companies in the mm -hmm. Silicon Valley. Uh, but I would say it's us and maybe one Chinese vendor doing their own hardware. Everybody else is trying to go on standard technology in radio. So we're a few. We strongly believe in that the hardware will make superior performance and you can handle processing in a much better way with the software. So talk about transformation. What, what mis I ask everyone I, who's here what mistakes they've made. Like, what have you missed when you're doing this? What do you worry about? No, I think that the biggest challenge I have is the resource and capital allocation. I mean, it's very simple to go into new areas. You have a core area that you need to nurture. We are number one in the world on mobile networks and on telecom services. It's easy to forget that when you're going into TV and media solution, building systems. So I think that... And holistic capital resource allocation is the most complex you have as a leader for this type of company. And that's because it's easy to say, I have 5 billion US dollars in research and development. I give 1 billion to them, 1 billion to them. But then I need to educate my, my staff in sales. I need to dedicate people in the services that can handle the products. I need to move incentives to succeed. And when you do that holistically, then you realize, wow, I cannot do too many of these because I lose my core business mm -hmm. or I lose my new business. Right. And when you think about innovation, what companies do you look to that you think are interesting or areas that's, to that's totally not in telecom? I mean, food technology, climate technology. What is interesting to you right now? Now, I think that historically it's been fairly simple our industry. I've talked to a carrier and the mm -hmm. carrier sort of we have decided that this is the type of technology we need because consumers has been our focus. Today, we talk still to carriers a lot. I would talk to any industrial leader in any sector, if it's healthcare, if it's uh, engines or if it's cars, we would talk to them all to understand them. So innovation comes from them. Uh, and then, of course, the ecosystem. I mean, uh, the, all the guys in Silicon Valley, we speak to all of them. We work with all mm -hmm. of them in order to understand what type of application they're going to use, what type of access do they need to the network. What inspires you, though? Which one? Is there one particular or is there some area that you think is really promising? No, it's nothing. I think that what exciting me is lately is, of course, been industries that want to transform using mobility, broadband and cloud and companies that change business models based on it. And everything from trucking companies that try to do something different, agriculture companies that we're meeting. So I think I have the fortune to meet all these leaders and understand how they think about it. And of course, that's important R&D for me. Is there one area that's moving forward? Is it building systems? Because that's, that's like an area people don't think about home. You know, Google's been investing a lot of money in home stuff, in home areas. Is there one area that you think is going gonna, is gonna to be bigger than others? Home, uh, transportation? TV media. TV Tell me media. about that. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, the majority of everything in the network is going to be 
media, TV, video. I mean, that's because it take, consume a lot of data and we get so many devices that can handle some sort of live right. TV. So, of course, that excites me. And that's why we also decided to invest in all software from ingestion from content to the play out to any type of device. Mm-hmm. So we have all the softwares, compression, caching, data right. right management in between there. I think that's an episode of Silicon Valley on HBO, but go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> and that that is really exciting. At the same time, we can provide that to a broadcaster, a traditional public broadcaster, a cable company, or a telecom operator. All of them will be into optimizing the video flows and bringing them out to any type of device. So that is really exciting. I mean, I would say even broadcasters that nowadays are outsourcing their broadcasting networks to us. Right. So I would run all the channels for BBC. I have 1,400 people, 24 by 7, running mm-hmm. everything for BBC. They should have, they let you do that or should absolutely. they be doing that themselves? I have the technology and knowledge of it and confidence. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't they, you then own BBC? Would you ever think about no, that? No, because they have the content, they have the journalists, and they are focusing on that. We are focusing on transforming the technology so they can get their but several up. tech companies have bought up content companies, and people think that's going to happen more in the future. Obviously, Verizon bought AOL, yeah. uh, Comcast bought NBC. You know, there's questions of what Apple would buy, and the, you know, Amazon's producing content. How do you look at that? I think it's again we're past the inflection point in this industry. All those companies see multiple opportunities they never saw before. I mean, if you're a mobile carrier today, for example, you can go into home surveillance, right. healthcare solution, TV and media. So it's obvious they see a growth going into this. However, there are other competitors there as well. I mean, it can be over the top going in there as well. Right. So this is a very different, but it's very much a sign that on the other side of this technology revolution, the second phase, uh, companies have new challenges and new opportunities. We have taken our choices, carriers will take in their choices, cable operators will take the choices, and one choice can be that, hey, I'm going to also have content right now because that's going to optimize my flow, make me more growing, mm-hmm. more better. Do you think that's a good idea? Some people question it, whether they should, that it doesn't mix well. I think it's, more, it's not one model, you know. The interesting is that the, the basis of the decision has to be based on the assets you have, the brand name you have, and the competence you mm-hmm. have. And some of the guys buying content, they have them. Mm-hmm. Some doesn't. So right. it's much more about based on that. What genes do you have in a company if you're going to succeed? Mm-hmm. So a phone company buying AOL. Seems strange to me, but the, I understand. The, the, I, I've listened to their conceptual idea yeah. around it, but it no, creates I, We're going to see more of that, you know. Yeah. So clear on it. Some operate... Uh, carriers, if we talk about carriers. Yeah. We have never segmented our customers. They are a carrier's carrier. They do the same. Yeah. Today, I have three different type of carriers. Some very much focus on the network. They stay where they've been. Fine. Some is going into many new industries. Healthcare, connected cars, security, and using their leverage all the way up to consumers. And one is, the model is not right for any of them. They have chosen what they believe they can be successful in. So we're going to see more of that. And then you can think about the internet companies, going Mm -hmm. into all these services as well. Right, absolutely. So the battleground is totally different with this digital agenda. So last question, what does it look like in 10 years for people? Will they be carrying cell phones? Just be a little bit of a prognosticator in terms of what does the car look like? What does the home look like? What is your your most far-out vision of what could happen? No, I think that my most far-out vision is, of course, that first of all, if you are in your home, you're going to have a lot of connectivity that's going to actually make you a much more sustainable living. Everything from your waste will be connected in order for you to know when it's time to, to empty the waste. You're going to have a, an information. Well, I usually just look in the 
trash can, but go ahead. Yeah, but think, think about yeah. the connected trash, uh, right. trash bin, which ah. is going to tell you when the, the guy's coming up and put, yeah. pulling it up. Right. Instead of coming to you when you have only 20% right. used in the trash bin, that will happen. Right. Secondly, when you're going to put on your laundry or anything, a device that lo- needs a lot of electricity, the network will tell you this is the best time. It's cheap right now. Right. That is things that's going to happen in your house. When you go out on the street, you're going to be connected to things. The car is going to be autonomously steered, connected to the parking meters, connected to the cyclist in order to have a much more livable city. Mm-hmm. All that I see in front of me when all these desi- devices are connected to each other and or connected to people. And we have only seen a small start to it. And to be honest, we need to have it. If we don't do it, this planet will not be sustainable because if we continue with this de- development and everybody should be included and have a- equal rights, which they should have, if we don't use ICT, it's not going to be livable, this planet. So on the on the other side, though, people are worried about cybersecurity. They're mm. worried about privacy. They're worried about, you know, the constant um, surveillance of the government. Is, does, is there a worry on that side for you with this fully connected world? Absolutely. I think that... In any technology revolution, you get a great lot of efficiencies, uh, growth and fantastic, and that you get with the broadband mobility and cloud. There are coming challenges with this technology revolution as well. I think you already mentioned them, security, mm-hmm. privacy, and resilience, resilience of data, because the data is so unique. If you lose your data, you can lose your whole life. So all these three things we need to constantly work with to see that we have the best solution for privacy, security, and resilience of data. And that I think the industry is understanding better and better today, but it's not one company that's going to solve it. It's not one country. It's sort of a multilateral discussion. Do countries understand this? China was recently here in the U.S. I think that everybody understands it. You're expanding in China. Yeah, I expanded. We came to China yeah. 1892. Yeah, so, yeah. So we, oh, yeah. yeah. So you can expand if you want to, but I have been there for a long time. But I think that, yes, they understand it. Then, of course, there are different levels of uh, maturity of the discussion. But I feel that we have a huge responsibility. I'm in 180 countries. There are very few other country, yeah. companies that are in these networks in 180 countries. I take the debate wherever I am, trying to understand how we can do it better, enlighten people. But one thing is clear, all this connectivity is leading to a better life for people all around the world. Mm-hmm. We just need to fight the bad things about it. That doesn't really help us. Okay, last question. If you weren't CEO of Ericsson, what would you do? <laughs> I'm not sure. I would, I would work with sports, probably. Sports? Yeah. What, uh, be a coach? No, yeah, coach. My whole life has been sports. Um, I would be administration, a big club, a big something like that, uh, Olympic committee. Wait, you own a team? No. No, I own my own team, my, my son's handball team. Mm-hmm. I'm training that. So, no, sports has been my whole career. Mm-hmm. That's how I've been trained. Um, so, uh, if I would do something else, I would be a coach in sports. Or I'm a coach at Ericsson as well, you know. Yeah. It's just a little bit different coaching. Yeah. All right, Hans. Thank you so much. Hans Vesberg, CEO of Ericsson. Thanks to Hans Vesberg, who we interviewed in New York. And now I'm at Half Moon Bay, California, at the Code Mobile Conference, where we're going to be doing Too Embarrassed to Ask. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Today on Too Embarrassed to Ask, we are talking to Lauren Good of The Verge staff. She and I are here at the Code Mobile Conference in Half Moon Bay, California, where among things we talked about were wearables. Hey, Kara. Hey, how you doing? 
Good. I have a too embarrassed to ask question for okay, you. Okay. All right. Am yeah. I wearing too many wearables? You are wearing too many wearables. Explain what you're doing here. You're wearing like six things on your wrist. I'm Correct. wearing um, an Apple Watch. Yeah. Jawbone Up 3, a Fitbit Surge, and a Ringly, which is a Bluetooth connected ring. And I tried to fit a Moto 360 this morning, but it just. Then it started to arm. look ridiculous. It yeah. didn't beforehand. It looks ridiculous now, just so you know. <laughs> um, so explain to me why you were doing all this. One of the themes this year at Code Mobile is wearables. It mm-hmm. used to be, you know, we've talked about this a lot. When we first started the Code Mobile conference a few years ago, everything was very specific to the mobile industry. It was, okay, which wireless carriers do we want to talk to? Which handset makers are we going to talk which to? Which we did here. Which we did, and it, they were great. But now mobile is so pervasive. It is just, it is essentially synonymous with technology that any sector you dive into, it's being impacted in some way by mobile. And so we have car makers here, we have wearable makers here, and we have people in mobile payments. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm focused on wearables. I focus on it a lot in my reporting. I think it's a really interesting area. And so we've had a couple of really great guests. Mm-hmm. You interviewed Hossein last night. Right, Hossein Rahman from... From Jawbone, Jawbone. founder and CEO of Jawbone. They make the up bands. They make the up bands as well as some other, I mean, Bluetooth speakers and... Um, and noise, they started out in noise-canceling technology, right. audio technology. And then we spoke with uh, James Park, who is a co-founder and CEO of Fitbit, right. which has had a pretty big year right. and a big competitor job own. Right. And, um, and wearables have just been this theme sort of woven throughout. You hear people, even Glenn Lurie, at and uh, president on stage, was talking about wearables and how you know, he thinks... So what does this mean? Because there's a lot of problems with wearables, too. We were talking early, earlier when we talked to uh, Amit Singhal from Google, wearables isn't a very good search area, for example, and it changes sort of the paradigm of what they mean. Now, to explain why you were wearing all these wearables, first of all, and they're all the, the best-known ones. Uh, I'm wearing them, I'll be honest, I'm wearing partly as a shtick for mm-hmm. today because right. I've, I've been on stage talking wearables nonstop and I thought people always ask me, well, what are you wearing? And it's hard to pick one over the other sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I'm just going to you know, show a few different options. Um, but sometimes I do wear more than one at the same time because I cross-reference things. Some of them are really great for tracking sleep and others are not. Some of them have GPS built in, others don't. Some of them will you know, strive to tell you about your hydration levels, others are, you know. And so they all... Um, We've heard this a lot, actually, from the people on stage. In some ways, they're they're categorically different. Different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some you, are for health. Some are for mm-hmm. general lifestyle. Some are for um, entertainment. Some are. Th- that's exactly it. You, uh, Hossein Rahman said, "Oh, well, you have got the, you've got the dedicated fitness market, and people often think of things like Garmin and Polar mm-hmm. and and serious athletes that wear those. And then you have the smartwatch segment, which is something that has a display that shows you notifications from mm-hmm. your smartphone and runs some third-party apps. Which and, Amit called a, like he thought watches were now a notification system, not anything more right now. Which is kind of what they are. Right. I mean, the third-party app experience on them has been pretty disappointing right. that we've seen over the past few years. Mm-hmm. You brought up a good pro- a point when you asked him about that, this idea of running search through your mobile devices. That's tied to, so, it's tied to two things. It's tied initially to this idea that watches Smartwatches are not good input devices. They're mm-hmm. tiny little screens, and you know, so you have to have like little tiny hamster hands in order mm-hmm. to actually type yes. something into them. I have hamster them. hands, by the way. You do have tiny hands. I'm I looking do. at them. I do. Um, that was you're wearing an Apple Watch. I yes, see I'm right wearing now. an Apple Watch, which is dead because I'm out of juice, <laughs> which is one of the issues. I can't tell the time. Neil I does that. Neil I Patel does that too yeah. from The Verge. He wears a, he a dead battery yeah, Apple Watch. Yeah, I know. Watch. And then I have a, I have a, a Jawbone 2, mm-hmm. which is the pretty that one. That looks very hip on you. It's a hip one because I'm wearing it with other hip things. So, wh- so what's the ring on your finger? What should people buy? Which one did you, would you buy? Would you actually pay for? I would pay for the Fitbit or the Apple Watch. Really? Why? 
I like Jawbone's software mm-hmm. and I like Jawbone's design. I do think it looks nice on you and I like this wrist, this sand colored wristband I'm wearing right now, but they mm-hmm. have had some serious hardware problems. Mm-hmm. And the first time I first time I reviewed this it malfunctioned mm-hmm. and the third iteration I reviewed it malfunctioned and I just think they have some serious hardware problems and I think that's part partly I mean they've discovered over the years that hardware is very hard and it's partly mm-hmm. why they're so intently focused on making their software good. Mm-hmm. So I actually wouldn't spend $180 on this thing right now. Mm-hmm. Fitbit is pretty reliable and um but it's ugly yeah this one i'm wearing the surge is not particularly attractive and i'm being kind yeah and then apple watch i really like because i am like you're in prison thank you i'm gonna put it around my ankle yeah i know it looks like an ankle (laughs) lindsay lowen i'm thinking lindsay lowen right now (laughs) oh thank you no problem is this lindsay lohan like during mean girls or like no during the current phase of ankle bracelets because she did something bad that's (laughs) the kind of thing i'm thinking i know where you're going with that um the Apple Watch has this really addicting feature where it shows you rings for mm-hmm. your activity levels, which if yours was charged, you would see because you're running around mm-hmm. crazy today at the conference. But they become sort of, you want to like close the rings at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm not so addicted to if that. You, if you like, I, I don't know, I find it, I've talked to Walt about this mm-hmm. too, and we both find it highly addictive. We're like, right. you have to close the rings. Really? And so there's that. And then mm-hmm. um, if you're tied to the Apple ecosystem where you really like, say, iMessage, and you like getting iMessages all day mm-hmm. long, the Apple Watch is a pretty nice solution for that. You see it quickly on your wrist and that yeah, sort of like thing. But they're still not great input devices. Like yeah. I go to reply to things on Apple Watch and you can attempt to use voice. You can do that with Google as well. You can say, okay, Google, to an Android smartwatch and you can try to reply via voice. And I like to say, uh, it's what is it? It's 60% of the time it works all the time. The famous <laughs> line. Because it's true, it doesn't work all the time. And yeah. so I think that these companies really need to fine tune that, uh, that process. And then there's the option of like punching things in on your wrist, which is just so silly. Yeah, exactly. Um, What's with the ring thing? The ring is... Um, it's just a simple notification system. It's also when not an attractive ring. I no, it's not. It looks like if if you were getting into a bar fight, this thing would be great because yeah. it's so bulky. And, yeah, uh, it's so what like that gold do? plated, but it it vibrates gently when you are getting a phone call. Basically, it's another notification system. Can't you listen to your phone? Well, let's say you had your phone in your purse or your pocket, or you were in a meeting and it was silenced. That's that's the idea behind all these notifications. You know, if you mm-hmm. if your phone isn't nearby, then is this a proxy for that? I see. And I'm uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Ring, but the reason why I tried it, admittedly, is because a couple of weeks ago there were some reports that Apple had filed um, a patent for a smart ring. Mm-hmm. And now Apple files patents all the time. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I thought to myself, oh, this is pretty interesting. I know there are a couple other smart rings in the market. I'd like to try one. So I reached out to Ringley and asked them to borrow one for a few days and trying it out now. So, and do you find it useful? Uh, so far, not especially, but I, I it's, I'm not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, sort of a mixed batch right now because I'm wearing so many wearables. Yeah. If I was wearing just that, I would be curious. It's a really ugly ring. They're all ugly. They're all somewhat (laughs) ugly. The only one that isn't ugly is this jawbone other one, and it's only relatively ugly. Like, what is, where does this have to go? Where does wearables have to go? If you were like, I was saying to Jose, and I have a box of sad, like sad old (laughs) fitness devices and things like that, and I have lots of them. Yes. Of bands and ear things and everything like that. There is a real user retention problem yeah. with so these things. How, when, what is the perfect thing? Because we talked about, Hosini, is it, is it the eye? Where on the body? And we were talking about two things, which I thought was interesting. Embeddables, which means goes under your skin. Mm-hmm. And ingestibles. Yes. Explain both of those. 
Ingestibles is this idea that you would swallow something, you'd swallow a pill or something like that, and it would have some type of tiny sensor set or maybe an RFID or something in it where it would, uh, you know, it would pass through your body momentarily, momentarily, however long it takes for it to pass through your body. But during that time, it would, it would be able to uh, read your health data. Right. It could potentially, you know, give you a reading on your blood or mm-hmm. something like that. And implantable is this idea of taking sensors or chips and implanting them, embedding them mm-hmm. into your skin in some and way. And what would those do? Health stuff or location? It could be, it could be health stuff. It could be... Um, it could be a authentication. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a chip embedded in you, and it, it, you swipe your hand, and it tells people who you are, and you're, mm-hmm. you're able to access something, money, unlock mm-hmm. something. Right. Um, it could be. It could be many things. I mean, I spoke with the founder of Soylent, mm-hmm. uh, Soylent, the yeah, yeah. the meal Our replacement. Company. Yeah. yeah, and he he has a, a magnet implanted in his hand Mm -hmm. he went to a body modification specialist which is basically like saying not a licensed medic yeah right and this person uh you know there's a whole subculture around this there's a documentary on netflix about this and and this person put a a magnet in his hand and now when he's near certain types of metal he senses it if he's near the fridge he senses it what does he need he doesn't need a fridge because he's drinking soylent he he said he experiences concerts concerts differently because he has sound waves because he has a magnet he said do you think everyone will get embedded someday with these things like we'll be embedded with all kinds of chips and i mean i think it'd be a very scary day if we lived in a society where it was mandated Mm -hmm. but do i think more people will try this i think i think so contact lenses all kinds of things absolutely i think people look now for ways we microchip our pets right right? i mean my pets Right. Of course, but people people say no, no, I am nervous about that. People say things like I I uh, if there was a really reliable excellent child tracker, you know, something that um wasn't invasive or abusive in any way, but something that I could attach to my child and know where they are, know they're safe, that I would try it. And I mean, I'm going to put a drop can on my kid's head. That's my plan. <laughs> what do you think? I think actually you know, Dropkick is now parenting. owned by Nest, which is owned by Google, which is into this stuff. So maybe there's a synergy there. Right? <laughs> yeah, probably doesn't trust me if I did that. Like, stuck a drone, or maybe fall in with a drone. That might be better. A personal drone that just yeah, hovers the over drones, their head. Right. Yeah. So, standing <laughs> up, wearables. Where are we? What inning are we at? Oh, we're. I like to say we're 1.0, 1.5. Right. Maybe so super early days. It's super like, early. It really is. And the thing is that they're not new. Mm-hmm. I mean, Microsoft had attempted smartwatches. Other people have attempted yeah. smartwatches before. Yeah. And um, Google Glass is, is another example of something that was around for a little while. And now it's not, you know, maybe it's coming out for enterprise. Yeah. Re- Recode has reported that, but we're not yeah. really sure. Uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, they've right. all been around for a while. Right. But I still think that um, we have not reached peak wearable yet. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, there's a lot more that has to be done around the entire user experience, making it something that people want to keep using and keep wearing. Mm-hmm. I think that they have to be smarter. There have to be ways to untether it from the smartphone. I think voice control has to really be refined because they're not great input devices. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting into ingestibles or implantables or smart clothing, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many advancements that still need to be made there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's early days. But it is all about data, right? Ultimately, it's all about data. Yeah, that's what Tim Armstrong from AOL said. Data is oil in the future. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so basically, we're mining oil mm-hmm. right now. Yep. And at the end of the day, the technology doesn't matter until it fails, mm-hmm. meaning the hardware. Yeah. The hardware doesn't matter until it fails. Right. Um, the sensor sets are all the same right mm-hmm. now that we're seeing. 
And, uh, and so I think whoever, whoever nails this is going to be somebody that is, uh, ultimately offering value through the insights of data. One thing we talked about this week too, and I would love to hear your thoughts on Mm -hmm. this is, um, fashion and wearables. You've seen a lot of companies try to make these things really fashionable by partnering with people like Tory Burch and Hermes, like Apple does the year. I mean, and they think that's a way to sell it. Mm, Do you agree? Still ugly. Still ugly. Not as ugly as before, but still, they're not completely anti-dating devices anymore, but (laughs) celibacy, (laughs) please, please. A celibacy device. Like, please, you absolutely cannot mate (laughs) with me. Um, Father's note, get your teenage daughter a really (laughs) ugly ugly wearable. So, um, I don't think they're as ugly as they used to be, but they certainly are. like that Fitbit is just giving me the creeps right now. Looking at it on your lawn. Well, I chose to wear the really big yes, one too. Like, look at that thing, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But but um, if you were to line this up against a Garmin watch, which is sort of the category this one is in, okay, it's, it's less all ugly. relative. It's less ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I still no. Well, Karis Wisher said it. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lauren. Good. Thanks, Kara. This is fun. All right. Have a good day. You too. Today on Enough Said, we're at the Code Mobile Conference in Half Moon Bay, California, and we've been talking about everything mobile, and so I brought in Mark Bergen, who is our reporter who covers Google at Recode, to talk about one of the more interesting interviews, which is, was with uh, Amit Singhal, who's head of search at Google, which is pretty much their most important business. Mm-hmm. So he said a lot of stuff, which was interesting. Talk a little bit about what you think was important. He did say quite a few stuff. I mean, the, the, the big news that came out um, was now, uh, a few months back, Google said that um, their mobile searches now outnum- outnumber desktop searches in the U.S. and nine other markets. And, and today they announced that it's worldwide. Mm-hmm. So everywhere across the world, now more people are searching on their mobile phones than they are on desktop. Um, which no, he was this very, is something that's been happening. This is it's happening, and certainly it's like Google's seen it coming, and he put it. He was very excited about it, but I think the, Google's also very nervous about it, right? Because it's, uh, it means many different things, right? Their, their core business is built around desktop search, right. and the ads that can run on desktop search, and, and mobile is just a smaller platform, uh, smaller screen, um, and less money for them. And they're also facing a world where people don't search anymore. Right, right. Uh, and he, t- he talked about that a little bit. And he kind of jumped around a, you know, a bit and kind of said, I, I love apps. And um, you know, he's talking about the engineering side of apps, that apps mm-hmm. are basically just a, a better way of rendering the web. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, apps are, as you pointed out, they're silos where you, know, you go in and I, if I want to do something, I want to look up some of the restaurant, I go to Yelp. I don't necessarily go to, to if I want to look, um, you know, go to Pinterest, you go to Facebook. You, know, you, you spend a lot of time in these apps that, that are no longer using Google to kind of connect to the internet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Like that now, before search was the only place to do right. anything. And, the, and, and it, it had benefited from a world of inefficiency yes. where you couldn't find things. But now you could almost be on, I'm trying to think of my own kids. They're on, they go on Amazon, there's no Google there. Yep. They go on Facebook, there's no Google there. They go right. on Snapchat, there's no Google there. Right. There's no Google anywhere except perhaps mapping. Right. Yeah, I mean, YouTube, clearly. Yeah. Um, Gmail. But, but it's not it, search. Right. Exactly. I mean, what, what the other, the other um, really important news item that he put out was that they've uh, indexed 100 billion pages mm-hmm. um, inside apps. And so we don't know how many apps that is, but that means that enough app developers have given Google permission to kind of crawl their app, mm-hmm. uh, much like they crawl the websites. Right? Mm-hmm. So now they can um, kind of make that indexable, make that searchable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, for an app developer, the trade-off there is you give Google, you hand over your data to Google, but then, you know, if someone is searching on, on the mobile web, they might be able to find your app and then deep link into a page within your app 
Um, it's basically a way. It's Google's way. It's a way, harder business for Google. It's a much harder business, right. right? It's a much harder problem, and it's as you, to your point, it's it's one where they're the desktop world. They quickly became the dominant. They're like uh, Microsoft of right. this era, of this era. And, and no longer the case. I mean, they're 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 certainly a big player, but they're not the only one. Right. And one of the things that we talked about was I asked if the search box was dead, and he mm-hmm. said, "I don't want to call anything dead." But right. He didn't say it was alive either. No, I, you know, they're try, they're trying a lot more. I mean, he, he spoke a lot about voice search, mm-hmm. um, which is you know I think something he didn't address is that in, he talked about Google Now, their personal assistant a lot, which his phrase was interesting. It was kind of searches tapping you on the shoulder. shoulder. Right. Right. So there's this... That was this, creepy. <laughs> there's this push element, right, where it was always when you go to Google and um, you type in something that it, it delivers you the information that you wanted, and now it's delivering to you in advance right before you even knew you wanted it. Right. So it taps you on the shoulder like an assistant and tells you right. what you and, did, didn't know that you should know. Right. And, and we talked about other places where, you, for instance, the car, obviously something that Google spends a lot of time thinking about, like where you would. And, and the example he gave was, you know, if he's walking the street down the street with his dogs, he doesn't want to pull out a smartphone and type something in. It's much easier to just use to, to use voice. So it's device centric. Right. So it's just device right. centric. And, and that's where, you know, that's where it becomes a much bigger battle between Google and Apple. Right. Um, exactly. Because Apple was clearly, there are enough signs that Apple's moving in the direction where um, they can provide their own search services and their own in-app search without having to rely on Google at all. At all. But one of the things they were talking about is creating this ubiquitous assistant that becomes indispensable, this tapping on your shoulder. Yeah, Right. I mean, Apple's doing the same thing. Right. And talk about this idea of tapping on. He kept saying tapping on your shoulder and telling you things, which I found creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is some of my reporting earlier. This is actually Google now used to be part of the Android teams. It was a part of the operating system, and now it's it's fully under the search division, which is, you know, it's pretty important, and it's that they, Google sees it clearly as the future of search, as, as where the information can be fed to you. The example he gave is a classic one. Um, so they scrape your, kind of, they know where you're going, they scrape your calendar and your, and your email information, and they say, okay, there's traffic, is terrible, you might want to leave now for your next appointment, right. um, because it's going to take you 10 minutes longer than you thought. Right, interesting. And that's search, tapping you on the shoulder, rather than going in and saying, how long is it going to take for traffic? The, the phone, the kind of search, and, and Google tells you in advance. And lastly, uh, Google in the in the new wearables area, kind of hard. Wearables aren't very good for search. No, yeah, you kind of admit that, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wearables aren't very good for Google at this point. Yeah, I no. Mean, they, they have uh, Android Wear, which hasn't taken a lot of do- adoption yet. Right. And everyone's kind of starting to associate wearables with Apple Watch. Right, and, and also it's still not a very good search experience. No, it's not. But, it, I mean, to be fair, it, it is very early. Um, and yeah, that's something they do pretty well, so I'm sure they'll so figure out something. So they're still going to be powerful for a while. Uh, yeah, I don't think they're going away. All right. Thanks, Mark Bergen of the Recode staff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This is Kara Swisher with Recode Decode. Tune in next week where we'll have another great show for you. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, Uber founder Travis Kalanick, reality star Kim Kardashian, Shark Tank host Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and more. They're all on Recode Replay. Thanks for tuning in.